Welcome to the American Warrior Festival Podcast, a celebration of our troops, veterans, and American way of life. I'm your host, Dan Clore. The American Warrior Festival Podcast brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Western New York's premier dining experience, known for its amazing prime rib and dedication to the veteran community. Visit them online at theredosier.com. Hello, American Warrior Festival family. This is episode 10 of the American Warrior Festival podcast. We have a very special episode today. It is the, uh, the firearms and, and weapons episode. So, I mean, who doesn't love that? We're going to have a good time talking to two of our good veteran brothers here, Army veterans Patrick Kimball and Dan Carrick. What's up, What's guys? Up? What's up, gents? Hey, guys. Hey, how are you, Dan? Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, absolutely. Pleasure is all ours. I appreciate you guys coming on. So, uh, yeah, we got Patrick here is a, a good friend of ours with the Firing Pin. Uh, American Warrior Festival family, you guys know all about the Firing Pin. They've been with us for a few years now, sponsoring us and taking care of us and uh, giving us the local support. And, Dan, just meeting you today, it's a pleasure – it's all ours to have you here with us, and so why don't you guys lead off and tell us a little bit about your uh, your military careers and your military background. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. So uh, my name's Pat, as you mentioned, and uh, I was a combat engineer in the U.S. Army for six years. I was with uh, 1st Engineer Battalion, 1st uh, Infantry Division for the entire time I was on active duty. I got a chance to deploy a couple times with those guys uh, once in 2006. Uh, to 2007, uh, September 2006 to December 2007 uh, in Mosul, Iraq. And then we went back again in 2009 uh, to 2010. And I was actually in the same uh, spot just across the street. So the first time I was in Fob Marez in Mosul and the second time we were over on Fob Diamondback in Mosul. And uh, so it was uh, same same basic, uh, you know, places both times I went. And uh, I left active duty in uh, 2012 and went to uh, the reserves for a year, did a year in the guard, and uh, I got out in 2014. Nice. All right, Dan, how about you, brother? Yeah, so, uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I, uh, I was in the Army for just shy of 10 years. Um, I started out in uh, 3rd Infantry Division down in Georgia, uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, I did five and a half years there, and then uh, I moved up to Fort Drum, New York, where I did another four years, four and a quarter years up there. Uh, I did, uh, while I was in, in uh, Fort Stewart, I deployed to Iraq twice. I did a 12 and a 15-month tour, and then when I was in uh, Fort Drum, I did a six and a year-long tour in Afghanistan. Uh, after I got out in 2013, after, uh, after I got out, um, I actually went to, into contracting. I tried to be a civilian for a while. It just wasn't working for me. So I uh, ended up going to contracting, and I went to Iraq, I think, six or seven times um, with that, uh, just doing, you know, three, four months of shot. And then, uh, excuse me, um, yeah, uh, I, while I was in the Army, I was uh, an infantryman. Uh, then I started getting into the reconnaissance world, 
uh, my, before my second tour in Iraq. And then uh, when I got up to Jerome, I actually got a chance to go to sniper school. So I'd been in that realm for the entire time. It's just I finally actually got to go to the school and do the actual, get the qualification under my belt. And that's what I did when I was with TC. I was a uh, defensive designated marksman, which is a politically correct term for a sniper. Nice. How'd you like your time up there in Fort Trump, man? It was all right. I mean, you yeah. know, it, I mean, you know, it's uh, you're, you're from you're from New York, so you know how the weather is. It's uh, yeah. it goes through uh, goes from a zero to thirteen flare of hell in a, in a heartbeat. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was all right. I, you know, Fort. It, with Fort Drum, it was, it's a beautiful area, but I didn't like the unit. And then with Fort, uh, Fort Stewart in Georgia, it was an absolutely horrendous area, but I loved the unit. So it was, I, I just couldn't find that happy medium. Well, it's, it's all, it really comes down to the people you serve with, right? And yeah, oh, at, at, the end, at the end of the day, if you're with the right That's group it. of guys... Yeah, it's the people you serve with, and it's the—I uh, always say it's the uh, the attitude of the unit. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Fort Stewart. You know, if they're Third Infantry, they're mechanized heavy infantry, uh, and everybody—you're uh, not so much in the Marine Corps, but in the Army, like, oh, mechanized guys. Oh, well, you're not airborne, blah blah blah. But uh, I mean, like when I got to Fort Stewart, those like those are some straight up killers there. Like those dudes had just invaded Iraq. And, like, wiped out three Iraqi army divisions in a matter of a few weeks. Like <laughs> these guys are no joke. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I get the Fort drum and it was just like, I don't know. It was just such a schoolhouse unit. And it was, it just, I never did really click there, I guess. For sure. Uh, yeah. Now the usual tour in the army over in Iraq and Afghanistan year to a year and a half, right? On average. <laughs> Yeah, we were doing like 12 to 15 months, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the Marine Corps, we have the seven months on, seven off. Real short. That's, that's, that's brilliant, though. Yeah. Well, like, the, problem with, the problem with the year-long tour is because it's anything over eight months by regulation, you have to uh, give each soldier the opportunity to take, uh, take a block leave. So – like throughout the whole deployment, you're always missing somebody because there, there was always somebody on leave. So, you know, you got a rifle squad and you're short, you know, a grenadier or a sogener or, a, you know, a team leader, or sometimes you're short a squad leader. And it just, I, don't, yeah, I think it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. I know there, there were army units that would see like three Marine Corps units come and go while they were oh, in yeah. country. Oh, Definitely. You know, they were like, "This is the, you guys are the third unit we've uh, we've met since we've been here." For sure. And I was I, like, "Oh man, the length." My second time in Iraq, I was attached to uh, the, my battalion was attached to the Marine Corps, and uh, I think we I think we went through two two different Marine regiments while we were there. I mean, they're great guys. Like, I couldn't ask for couldn't ask for a better a better backup. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I I love the the camaraderie between the Marine Corps and the Army. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's there's a lot of good, a lot of good banter. I, I've uh, I've actually been in a band with a, a couple of paratroopers, and okay. uh, he would do my pedal boards and shit and set it up for me. And there'd always be some kind of Marine Corps dig, and some 82nd oh, yeah. Airborne pride all over my shit with oh, pink tape nice. and. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Gotta we, love it. And we played on a couple of bases, like 29 palms. And he was talking to all the young Marines. They had their, uh, their portholes, their, their boot camp glasses. Right. All the, the BCGs, right? Birth yeah, control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah. I got a set of those laying around somewhere. Do you? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could see the young guys wearing those man in the base and just the freshness of, uh, their service and good times, man. Good times with that dude. For Absolutely. sure. So, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, <clears throat> if you want to talk about sniper school or, or, you know, some of the stuff you did with combat engineering, Patrick, maybe tell the people a little bit about what you guys would do on a day to day. So when I was over there in Iraq, we were doing the uh, combat or the uh, route clearance mission, right? So right. we were doing, a lot of uh, route clearance ahead of uh, the different logistical support, combat logistical support patrols that would come uh, to and from the bases with uh, different supplies and stuff like that. So we were always trying to keep uh, Route Tampa uh, or Highway 1, as you guys may know it, uh, we were always trying to keep that route clear to the north and south of uh, Fab Mares. And uh, so we were just basically looking for IEDs and uh, trying to uh, find bad guys and get into gunfights and stuff like that, man. Yeah, God bless you guys, man. Because what year? Two thousand six to two thousand seven. Yeah, man. Uh, when when did you get there? Two thousand six. September two thousand six. Uh, so before the troop surge in in December of that year. Ah, uh, just I was there in April, like September oh five to April oh six. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And yeah, were you in Mosul too? Yeah, we no, we were in Ramadi. Oh, okay. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing, um, they, they had to start taking over prisons and then doing convoy security and like detention and bringing, bringing guys from the uh, detention centers down to like Abu Ghraib and convoys. Sure. Mm -hmm. So a lot gotcha. of that training, some training. Mm -hmm. So it's basically what we did, but I mean, that was the biggest thing everyone was concerned about, obviously that taking the, uh, the, <clears throat> all the freaking uh, detainees down on those roads and what was going on with the IEDs. And right. So the work you guys did, I mean, amazing. Yeah, the, I, the IED threat was really bad at that time, as you know. And yeah. uh, so we, we actually, our unit, we took a lot of pride in uh, being really proactive and a lot of stuff that we were doing. So uh, we found different spots where they would be uh, putting IEDs in culverts and stuff like that. And so we would go out and do culvert denial missions, you know, using some of that combat engineer obstacle skills and stuff like that. And uh, just trying to deny them the ability to get into those culverts and in place big uh, IEDs. And uh, we were pretty successful with that. And uh, we would set out small kill teams and try to interdict uh, different, you know, IED, like known spots, known hotspots, like tactical areas of interest um, where they were laying a lot of IEDs and stuff like that, trying to interdict the guys that were in placing that stuff. And uh, we would do a lot of uh, going out and policing up the command wire because uh, they would lay command wire, uh, you know, networks, basically setting up like a, an electrical grid for themselves, right? So that if I have a power source on one end, uh, far away from the road, I can set up my, my initiation uh, device uh, and my, my charge by the road. And then I can connect my power source uh, when I get, you know, to the other end and now I can watch for uh, my signal where I know, you know, the, the 
approaching uh, patrol is going to be right in front of my IED where I want to detonate, uh, detonate that device. And then I can hit them where I want to hit them and maybe, you know, ambush them or, or whatever else I want to do at that point. Nice, man. Because, yeah, that was by far, I think by the time 2005 to 2006 hit, I think the IEDs were the biggest fear, right? More than ambushes, Definitely. more than snipers and right. suicide bombing. The IED really was, like, I think everyone's biggest concern. Absolutely, man. So, cool. Dan, how about yourself, man? I know you were there a few different times, so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, my first time there was uh, 04 to 05. And it was still a, uh, it's like you were saying, where the, the, uh, the fight had transitioned. So I actually was involved in that transition where in 04 and 05, it was still very much a gunfight. Uh, right. like, so when we showed up to Iraq, like, hey, you know, you got to watch out for these things called IEDs. So like, what are IEDs? Like, you know, <laughs> right. I had no idea what, the heck, what, was, what it was. Like, oh, they just put a thing in the road and it blows up. Like, oh, that sounds like it sucks. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Good times. So, but, but uh, you know, that we were still – at that time, uh, we were still kicking doors and doing raids and, uh, you know, we do our daily, daily patrols and whatnot. Uh, it was when, when, uh, like Pat had brought up small kill teams, it was when, uh, small kill teams were really starting to, I guess that was like the birth of small kill teams was that around that time frame, uh, and, you know, it was just a four man, you know, four man unit and it would go set in an ambush on an intersection or, you know, uh, unknown hotspot, if you will. And, uh, you know, but other than that, lots of raids, lots of patrolling, you know, we'd set in like a hardened, hardened OPs, uh, where we basically throw some Iraqi dude out of his house and, uh, fortify his house and turn it into a, a bunker in the middle of the city. It's kind of like, just like a, basically a giant middle finger <laughs> <laughs> for sure so in the middle of the, uh, the insurgents, you uh, so a lot of that, my second tour when I was actually in the reconnaissance unit, that was when uh, I, for 15, that was when my 15 month tour, uh, I pretty much did, that was all we did was, was kill teams. Uh, and uh, at the, you know, when, by that time it had rolled around, uh, TTPs had changed and the, uh, the kill team itself had changed a bit. And uh, so the kill team was a slightly, slightly bigger. Uh, we had a little bit more, more assets to use. Uh, so we were, like I said, we were attached to Marine Corps. So in each kill team, we had an Anglico, Anglico, Anglico Marine attached to us to uh, take care of all of our, uh, our rotary wing aviation, you know, needs. And uh, I tell you what, those dudes are a huge asset. Uh, if there's any Anglico guys listening, they, what you guys do matters. You know, and, uh, you know, with, even then with, with Pat, the route clearance guys, like, your guys' mission is the, the rock clearance mission was so critical and so important that the entire operate, the entire thing would have fallen apart without the rock clearance guys. So obviously Pat, he knows that I have a lot of respect for what he did, but if there's any other guys out there that are listening, listening in, uh, dude, you guys, I can't tell you enough how important it is. What you guys did wasn't, you know, was it the sexiest thing in the world? No, <laughs> But I, like I can tell you from experience, you know, in the reconnaissance unit and in being a sniper, I I've been laying in a ranger grade pissing on myself for three days. It's not sexy either, so right <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so don't feel bad uh, for sure. But uh, that was my second tour, and then uh, 
when I went to Afghanistan. Afghanistan's a whole different animal. Afghanistan was so risk averted. Like they're just so scared of taking a risk. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I finally had, after, you know, six years of doing it, I was finally a qualified sniper. So, you know, when I take the sniper section out and do sniper things, I'm like, oh, no, 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 we can't. We can't have such a small element getting getting out there sticking its neck out. And, you know, you guys could get hurt. And it's like, well, we could get hurt driving up and down the road too. So yeah, what's the difference? Like, seems kind of silly to not take a not take a risk to be a little more proactive than than just do completely. You know, Afghanistan to me seemed completely reactive compared to Iraq. Uh, so that was my my uh, first time in Afghanistan. That was my first experience. Was realizing how. How, uh, how afraid it seemed that uh, we were to to take risk. And then, I mean, just a simple example, like we were, and, and this, I, I guess, was negotiated with the Afghan government. Like, we were on a lot of patrol at nighttime. I was like, like, really? our, our, the best advantage that we have, like yeah. the, 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 the apex of the technological advantage that we have, our, our ability to see at nighttime, and we're not going to use it, that seemed kind of silly. Uh, but at any rate, you know, that was, you know, 10 pay grades above me. So uh, my second time in Afghanistan or my first time in Afghanistan, I was in the Tangy Valley, which the only reason the Tangy Valley is, is famous because that's where uh, SEAL Team 6 got that. Uh, they were shot down in a Chinook. Oh, above, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that was that, that was that valley. And you know what's funny, though, is because we had been getting information and getting information that they had a uh, they had some kind of man pad there, some, so there some sort of uh, shoulder launched. Uh, uh, guided missile intent. So, so they had some sort of shoulder launch, but they, we, we had been hearing that and hearing that, and we've been looking and look all over for this thing, and we never did find it, obviously. And then they, that's, you know, unfortunately that SEAL team and the, uh, the uh, Army uh, spe- Special Operations Aviation guys got shot down. And I know, it, you know, it's funny is I know exactly, I could, if I went back to that patrol base, I could point exactly to the village where, where it came from. Uh, you know, if you gave me a map, I could point right to it. Um, but uh, as joys are in, but at uh, any rate, um, that was my first time in Afghanistan. My second time I was in the Argandab River Valley, uh, where it was uh, pretty much a jungle fight. It was uh, it was really tight. It was uh, it was grape rows after grape rows, uh, a lot of vegetation, just absolute. It was like trying to. It was trying to. It, basically, it was a gunfight on an obstacle course. Is the best way I could describe really? it. Really. You get into a firefight and you start shooting and you go to maneuver and you have to jump over a six foot tall grape wall. So you're trying to get a, a whole squad over a grape wall in a timely fashion is an absolute nightmare. Oh man! <laughs> All the while you're looking for IEDs and you know <laughs> what a what a mess that was. A lot of shit, um, lot of shit going on at once there. Huh? Oh yeah, I, look, I honestly the funniest one of the funniest memories I had from uh, from there was. Uh, uh, Somebody, we, it wasn't a firefight, but somebody had spotted a uh, a uh, Taliban, uh, like a two-man team or something, and they were getting ready to launch a uh, a recoilless rifle at somebody or fire a recoilless rifle at somebody, and uh, they caught him and they dropped a 500-pound bomb in the middle of this grape row, blew up the grape row, right? And uh, so they send us over there to go look for the look for it, of course, because it didn't just get obliterated by 500 pounds of explosives or anything. So we go over there, and uh, fortunately for me, I didn't get sent in there. My buddy Marcus got sent in there, and uh, he was knee-deep in grape juice like in mud. So 
the the overpressure blew all the grapes up, and there was just, <laughs> he was up to his knees and just grape. I like, think pretty sure he just threw his pants and boots out because they were just. <laughs> It was like taking a bath in honey. It was horrible. He should have had some wine, huh? Just go uh, there no, and put the canteen uh, in there. Yeah, uh, it was bad. But yeah, so that uh, that was my second time in Afghanistan. And uh, after that, came home and eventually I uh, uh, got out a couple about a year and a half later. Uh, my last six months in the army was probably the most awesome time I had. I ran a gym. Oh really? <laughs> I yeah, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I show up for work every other day for like three hours and then I'd leave. <laughs> there you go. They yeah, sold R and R finally, huh? Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't I didn't put my uniform on, I'm pretty sure, for the last six months I was in. I must have absolutely <laughs> had to. Just what you have the, the gray the gray PT gear? The army T shirt with the Oh no, no, I wore not I even? wore like I wore civilian clothes. Nice. I wore civilian clothes in my gym. Like half the people that come in there go, who are you? I go, my name's Dan. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I was like, wouldn't want any responsibility whatsoever. All the, I'm pretty sure all the officers, all the young officers thought I was just some random civilian. <laughs> so, they let they let you grow your facial hair out and everything. Did you get that lucky? Uh, no, I didn't do that. I, I didn't. I didn't want to grow a beard at the time. But oh, okay. That wasn't that wasn't until I was completely out. I was still institutionalized where I had to shave every day. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. Now, did you have aspirations to go into the, the private military security world after that? Or, I mean, when did that kind of come about? You got out and maybe. Absolutely not. No? <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was done. Uh, you were done, yeah. I was, I was, I'd had enough. Um, I, uh, I got out and, uh, like I said, in 2013, I got out and uh, I got married right before I got out. Um, uh, and. So my wife and I moved back to, uh, to Spencerport. We were living in an apartment. Excuse me. And uh, I had started going to college. And uh, I was going to college for precision machining. And uh, I'm in college. I really enjoyed my, uh, my uh, precision machining classes. But everything else that you have to do, like English and like some of the math stuff and like humanities and I said, oh this is like it was just awful i was like oh how do people do this like and i felt i felt you know i was about 28 at oh, 29 20 or 29 and i'm like looking at these kids like oh, just, you, your minds are just being poisoned right now i was like you don't know how bad this is <laughs> this is horrible oh, yeah. yeah so i i ended up get uh you know i, I finished up my semester with college or I, I did two semesters and uh ended up finding a job working in a factory and uh so I worked in a factory for a few years and uh you know I mean you know how western New York is it's you, you know everybody's everybody either works in a factory or is an engineer at a factory that's just yeah that's just the nature of the beast so uh I uh wasn't really making that much money and just, get lost <laughs> six year old uh I uh I ended up uh Ended up just kind of searching around for new jobs. I was like, God, I gotta make some more money. Like, this is just not getting me to where I want to be. So I, my one of my good friends, he was in the contracting. Like, man, why don't you just look at contracting for a minute? And I, I did. I was like, man. At the time, it was four hundred. Uh, 
$468 a day. And I was like, oh man, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 460 a day. Like, ah, and I was like, all right, you know, I, I, you know, so I jumped in and, uh, you know, as, as much as I thought I would hate it, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I really, uh, it was nice to get back into the, uh, camaraderie as, 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 you know, if you will, with, uh, cause it's all, it's all army and Marine guys. So, you know, it's, Right, but we don't have to like. But we're not in uniform anymore. There's no rank structure. It's just you know a bunch of dudes, you know, being dudes. Uh, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it, and the, the thing that's so much better about that than than the art or than the military in general is it's big boy rules. Like, like you know, you know, we always say big boy rules in the army. Oh, it's big boy rules on this range. Like, well, no, it's not. Somebody's gonna be babysitting. Dude. Yeah, like literally at, at in contracting, it's big brother. It's like if you have an ND on the range or you do something unsafe or dumb on the range, you just get fired. That's like it's right. like it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like oh sweet, because you'll sure. you have some guy like, hey, what happened to Bob over there? Like, oh yeah, he ND'd on the range, so they fired him. Like, oh that's sucks. well, I don't want to be around anybody that NDs. So yeah, I mean it's yeah, uh, it's it was really nice and uh, honestly like so, uh, the yeah. Everybody there is in their late twenties, early thirties. So everybody's there real mature, for the most part. Uh, real mature. Every, these guys have lives outside of what they're doing, uh, so they they do their job to to the best of their ability, and uh, they really do have a sense of more so even than the military, more so uh, a sense of taking care of one another. Like uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, one of my friends uh, from contracting, his uh, you know, in the middle of the night, he got a phone call and. Uh, his son had been diagnosed with leukemia and you know, it's, it's awful. And, but you know, so my shift leader, you know, he gets up in the morning and sends a message out over Skype. Like, Hey, I need, I need, I need three trucks to take, uh, take him back to the embassy so we can get him out of country. And it was, you know, by the time he got done with all the volunteers, he had five trucks going and the dude had, I think I think he had eight hundred dollars worth of cash in his pocket. Like he was like, "You need money? Here, take money. Take money." Like we gave like people right. just handed him hundred dollar bills. Like, bro, you need money. You're gonna need money. And because you know he was the uh, he you know in the contractor world, he was the lowest tier of payment. So I mean, he was making good money, but you know was, we didn't want him to have to spend his own money because he's gonna have some bills. Obviously, we don't want to spend his own money. Uh, just to get home. So we really like stuffing money in this dude's pocket just to get him home so he could eat on the way home and you know, all that stuff and Cause get you, a cab when he got to the airport. It was just, just the, uh, the level that guys care about each other. It seemed like it was, it was much more genuine in contracting than it was in the military. In the military, you have to be around, in, around each other uh, because you can't leave. Uh, in contracting, the guys they stick around because they want to be there. They they want to be in that team. They want to they want to be they want to be there. So it was just a it's a different environment, and that's not to take any away from anything away from the military at all. Obviously, it was a great experience for me, but it just in contracting it was just a different feel for me. So, and, and you probably knew you probably knew a lot of those guys from your time serving in the army as well, right? I remember in Iraq we met a bunch of those guys. Uh, contracting uh, guys. I only ran into one or two guys that I oh, knew really? from the service. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like most of my team, most of my team, uh, 
most of my team was Marines. I was one of, I think there was 15 guys in the team, and I was one of like maybe five army guys. Most of them were, were Marines. Uh, do you guys have to? So, uh, do you have to cover your own travel and, and equipment and everything in the contracting world? No, your uh, your travel is covered for you. Uh, nice. It's uh, so when you go. Uh, so if I were to leave today, I would uh, drive up to Anchorage, get on a plane, and shoot over there. Uh, the company covered that, and then um, equipment-wise, uh, they everything that you need, they have there. Um, it's real super basic, uh, super basic kind of stuff. Uh, it's uh, like so we didn't have. We had plate carriers, but they were low-pro plate carriers. So you would wear a, a plate carrier and then a butt, like a, a button-down shirt, and so it didn't look like you were wearing a plate carrier. And then you had a little battle belt and a, uh, a Rhodesian that you would keep in the truck. Um, but real simple, basic stuff, um, but perfectly functional. I mean, our job wasn't really, you know, our job wasn't to get into fights. Our job was to get out of them when they did happen. So it was we were. We tried to stay light and uh, as light and mobile as possible. Like, like I, I honestly, like I'm wearing like minus a button shirt. Like this is what I would wear on a mission. Like, and the, ca- wear, the the brown khaki pants, right? Or the brown. Uh, I never, it, I never wore the five elevens. No. I'm proud to say, I never, no, I never wore five elevens. I refused. I nice. no, honestly, it, it, I, uh, so I was there. Uh, I. Uh, um, we get new guys in and they're like, yeah, you know, what, you know, and they would come in with, you know, whatever they had and like, what should I get? What should I get? You know, what kind of shirts are good? What kind of shirts work good? What kind of pants? And these guys are telling them, like, oh, you got to get Columbia or cool or, you know, this, this kind of fishing shirt. And I was like, bro, go to Kohl's and buy something off the $20 rack because you're going to destroy it. it. <laughs> you're going to destroy it. And you're going to be really upset if you got a $200 pair of pants on and you rip them. I was like, I wear Wranglers, <laughs> Wranglers and Levi's because I'm cheap. I still, as like, just because I'm making money doesn't mean I'm not going to, I'm going to stop acting like I'm not poor. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, uh, you know, let's talk about um, some of the, the firearms and, and weaponry in our time in, when we were in and, and maybe the future of where you guys think it's headed. We can nerd mm-hmm. out on some of the, uh, some of the weapons shit that's coming down the pipe. For sure. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe some of the stuff that we had early on that was, uh, by the time you guys got out, was changing and, uh, you know, different weapons that you used and what you liked Turning and in. all that good stuff. It went from being the dance show to being the pet show now. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was in, man, uh, I remember being a young private, and the first thing I got when I got to my unit was an M249 squad automatic weapon, right? So uh, I had a the belt-fed like lightweight light machine gun squad automatic weapon uh, automatic rifle thing uh, with uh, five five six linked ammo, and then I had uh, after that I had an M sixteen A four for a little while until I got to be a team leader, and then I had an M four with a with a grenade launcher and M two hundred three, and I remember being a machine gunner up on my two forty Bravo uh, machine gun, and uh, I also remember uh, we had 50 cal uh, M2s that we could never use in the city uh, of Mosul when I was deployed up until uh, we ended up getting uh, into some gunfights where we should have had 
some heavier weapons, but we had two forties. And uh, so they, they ended up letting us use the 50 cals later on in my deployment, my first deployment. So, uh, but yeah, as far as where it's headed, man, they got some cool stuff coming out from SIG with that new uh, 338 Norma machine gun. If you guys know anything about that. Nice. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? So uh, SIG Sauer, as you know, has gotten a couple of contracts from both the Marine Corps and the Army, right, for their, uh, their handguns. They got the M17 pistols going out to the Army, and they got the M18 uh, version of the SIG P320 handguns going out to the Marines. Basically the same guns. Uh, the Marines have a little bit shorter slide and barrel, and uh, they have an extended uh, magazine for a couple extra rounds in the, uh, in the magazine there. Um, but both guns have night sights and uh, manual safeties on them, come in flat dark earth uh, colors with optics cut slides and cool stuff like that. Um, they're also going to be outfitting them with uh, cool infrared uh, lasers mounted on the guns, uh, infrared light slash lasers. So uh, those are, those are going to be, if they're not already in the field, they'll be out soon. Uh, but also SIG has the uh, 338 Norma machine gun which is supposed to replace some of the general purpose machine guns like the 240 Bravos that are out there. And they've also got a uh, weapon, uh, excuse me, a, uh, an optic for the machine gun. And they've got a one to six power uh, scope that the army just adopted for uh, use on uh, either sniper. Uh, I think the designated marksman rifles. So SIG's nice. got a lot of stuff. Yeah. SIG's got a lot of stuff in the works right now with the department of defense. It's looking good for them, huh? Into the future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, well, they call themselves the complete systems provider, right? So uh, one of the things about SIG, uh, and the reason I know so much about their product lines is because I've gone up there uh, about four times in the past four years for different uh, instructor courses that they do up there. So um, Nice. Where are they headquartered? So uh, now they're in uh, Exeter, Massachusetts is where they do their manufacturing and Epping, uh, Massachusetts, is where they have uh, the Sig Sauer Academy and Pro Shop. Nice. So not too far away from uh, where you're at at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, so I'm originally from Maine, right? So I go oh, shit. when I – yeah, man. So when I oh. go up there, I stay with, like, my parents, uh, and I, I, get to, I get to, like, eat good, you know, home-cooked <laughs> food. And then I drive, like, an hour down the road to go to school every day. And then I go back to mom's house to sleep. And then, you know, so I just drive back and forth for like a week. So it's, it's how I spend like my yearly vacation, right? I go up there and I take an instructor course and I hang out with my mom for like a week and then I come home. Sounds like a great time. You jump all over that, I imagine. Every, every year you do it? Every, well, every chance I get, right? I mean, yeah. I'm going. So I went last year for uh, the master pistol instructor course. I went the year before for the patrol rifle uh, instructor patrol rifle instructor course recertification the um it was two years so i'm sorry i didn't go in 2017 but i went in 2016 for um the semi-auto pistol instructor and i went the year before for patrol rifle instructor the first time around so i've been up there four times in the past five years and i'm going back for uh tactical games is doing a, a two-day competition up there uh, at SIG Academy in May. So I'm going back to compete uh, in the tactical games this year. Nice, man. I was actually uh, following you there on Facebook and checking out your action when you uh, just did the competition. Was it a couple months ago or two months yeah, ago? Yeah, at the, 
at the firing pin, right? Yeah, the, the skirmish that we did up there. Oh, is that what you – I thought you did another one where you uh, – you competed in uh, – Yeah, when you oh, competed. I, yeah. Yeah, so that one – yeah, that was in Pennsylvania in August. Yeah, so – Cool, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, man. I can't wait to get back and do it again. So, uh, yeah, and we'll get we'll get into the firing pin and talk a little bit more. We get towards the end of this. I want to talk more about our relationship with you guys and everything that for you sure, have yeah. going on and the things you do for the community and all, all the veteran organizations in the in the area and beyond. Gotcha, um, yeah. I figure we talk a little bit about about the armory. I don't know if it's the same way for you guys with uh, you know weapons cleaning at the end of the day and trying to get things turned into the armory and and. Right. Uh, just where you think oh, you God. have the whole thing cleaned and <laughs> the armor yeah, digs in. And I mean, I don't know if you guys have any funny stories from the armory or. Well, so I was actually, I was actually the unit armorer, right? Oh, so, okay. yeah. So yeah, I was, yeah, the devil himself is on the phone. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was the armorer, I tried to be like pretty cool, you know, for yeah. the most part. But then later on when I got promoted to E5, I was the arms room NCO. And when I was the arms room NCO, you know, I, I knew a little bit more about the maintenance schedules and how, you know, things kind of rolled in the arms room. And so right. I became like really anal about all of that shit, man. And I would I would get in your ass about any kind <laughs> of carbon, carbon on the bolt tail, right? Or carbon in your gas tube or carbon under your extractor. Like guys would go to hand in their shit and I would take <laughs> extractors off of bolts and like stick Q-tips and shit in there. And, oh yeah, you know, yeah. So the first sergeant was was really happy with me, uh, but he was always like, "You're in charge. You like basically you get to to say when we go home." And so you know, I I had a lot of pull with uh, with the first sergeant. You know what I mean? You knew when the Q-tip came out, you were screwed. You're like, "Oh shit, oh, here no. we go." <laughs> oh dude, I would, yeah, I would I would get in that ass. <laughs> that was the. Uh, one of the cool things about contracting. So when you're getting ready to go home on your, uh, on your 30 day break, you take all your stuff to the arms room and you know, they do the same thing. They go to like, all right, I got to you know, take them apart and clean them. Like I literally just handed you 20 bucks. like clean it for me. They're like, all right, there you go. Some extra money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Here's 20 bucks. My problems are over. Done and done. Right. Yeah. Done and done. Yeah. 20 uh, sure. money talks, man. Money talks. Absolutely. That was the thing. Being contracting. Crazy. In contracting, they don't give you a cleaning kit. So you're trying to clean your, you know, whatever your, you know, M4 or your, whatever you got, your, your, your Glock, you're trying to clean it with a, you know, the, the pick tools on a Gerber tool. So, <laughs> right. It's like, I was like, I don't have anything to clean this thing with. So just give them 20 bucks and all your stuff will come out shining clean. They don't hand out gallons of CLP, huh? Oh, no. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, the worst thing you can try and the worst thing you can ask supply for in in uh, contracting is batteries. <laughs> it's like, oh, we don't have any batteries. They're on order. It's like, dude, I've been doing this job for two years and they've been on order the whole time. My flashlight doesn't work. Give me some damn batteries. <laughs> oh man. So Patrick, when you saw that, you're like, all right, I'm gonna be able to talk to these guys from the guy inside. Me yeah. in the armor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's good reason for it though, right? If you let it slide Absolutely, every time, man. that's just gonna start building up, right? You know, you know what though? It, 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 I was a platoon sergeant for a while. Yeah, you gotta have know. standards, man. Yeah, and it's yeah, from a platoon sergeant standpoint, like you gotta have standards, you know, and you've got to support the armor. Oh yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like 
I found like if if you're if you're supportive of the armor, the armor will be supportive of you. So sure. So you walk in from the field at you know nine o'clock at night, like all right, got to do weapons maintenance to get get a good hour of weapons maintenance in, and you know you, you go down there and he's kicked back every single one of your guys, like and you go in there and you close the door, like listen, bro, these dudes have been out in the field for two weeks. I'll have them in here at five. They will be lined up at your door at five. Just let them turn their shit in. <laughs> like, all right, all right, you know, because they know that you won't, you won't, you know, come come tomorrow when it's time to get get after it again. That 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 you're on board with them then. But you know, at the same as a platoon sergeant, you got to take care of your guys too. Be like, hey man, it's yeah. These things aren't going to be any any dirtier in the morning. Like, right. Let's just let's just get this over with. Let these guys go home, and get a couple hours of sleep, and then they're going to come back and do a better job. Right, you know, come it, come back fresh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, di- but you know, different story in Afghanistan. You get back from your patrol, clean weapons, and that means clean them. Well, like, right. It's not negotiable then. Sure, sure. Mission dictates, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're when you're stateside and it's just it's late at night and guys just want to go home, like, just just let them go home for yeah. God's sake. Absolutely. There's no. We don't need to be a dick all the time to make make the unit function. For, For sure. sure. Definitely. Uh, so now we talked a little bit about what you guys are currently up to, but let's get into it deeper with, uh, you know, how, how the, the things that you learned in the military specifically with uh, pertaining to weapons, how that's kind of shaped your uh, post-military career. Patrick, it seems kind of like obvious to go start with you here because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's I mean, it's what you do and – Day right. in and day out. So why don't you talk about how that kind of led you into your post-military career? Well, you know, one of the things, Dan, for me is as a machine gunner, right, uh, I learned the number of times that uh, just having a gun that was ready to go uh, could could save your life, right, in a combat scenario. Right. Um, but, you know, even in the civilian world, too, it just, you know, as a, from the concealed carry mindset, it makes sense to have proper equipment you know what i mean that you can get uh definitive uh game-changing shots into the fight right so um that was one of my takeaways from being a machine gunner is uh having the ability to get accurate rounds on a target quickly uh it makes all the difference in the world um so taking that back to what i do uh now from an instructor perspective it just means that, uh, you know, I want to teach people how to have high accuracy standards in everything that they're doing so that when the time comes, they can, they can do that. Uh, they can apply those good fundamentals at a subconscious level because uh, that's what's going to be efficient. Nice, right? It's all technique. And, and what's that saying uh, about uh, what, smooth is slow or slow? What's the saying you guys have? Or- so some guys, yeah, some guys will tell you slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? But I'm here to tell you that uh, slow is just slow. Slow is slow. Slow Slow is just slow. Slow is just slow. That's that's some shit that slow guys say. That's that's some shit that slow guys say to justify not being fast guys, right? Yeah, that's yeah. That's that's some bullshit, right? Well, so here's what I I say a couple of things. I say speed is fine and accuracy is final, right? Wow. Yeah. Being the first guy to miss doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot, right? And then the other thing that I say is get to the gun fast. Like, be fast to the gun, and then you can 
rush to the shot. You don't have to rush the shot, right? In other words, get your hand on the gun fast, get the gun out, get the sights semi-aligned with the target, and then start prepping that trigger and deliver a good, accurate first shot, first couple shots, and that's going to change the outcome. For sure. Right on, man. 100%. 100%. Pat's okay. actually uh, – Pat's taught me uh, I am not a – I'm not a great pistol shooter at all. Uh, and I was either either am I, man. That's why I'm going to go see Pat when I get back to New York. Yeah. I tell you, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, if, if, you need a, if you need a class on shooting pistols, Pat is – I went from being maybe like an average pistol shoot, not only say average, a semi-average pistol shooter to being a, uh, a much better pistol shooter having, having worked with Pat. And, it, and it's not even like a lot, like hours and hours of training, just like, hey, Pat, watch me shoot this string real quick. Like, oh, hey, just fix your hand. Move your hand like this. Like, oh, duh. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew that, Pat. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, I was just making sure that you were paying attention. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I've learned a lot from Pat, uh, and uh, he's absolutely right. Though is uh, you know it's uh, uh, you know speed is fine, but or uh, accuracy is final. And uh, that was I I did uh, I shot a little the uh, ten ten and ten at ten string the other day. I posted it on Pat's uh, Pat's page there, and that was one of the things I noticed myself doing was where I. I uh, I try and be, I try and be a little bit overly precise sometimes. Like I can shoot really fast. Uh, but I, if I'm trying to be precise, I slow way down. Like yeah. it's, <laughs> but, it, and I, it, while I was doing, I can almost hear Pat just screaming at me, just pull a damn trigger. Like this. I could hear him watching my video. Be like, pull the trigger, Dan. What are you waiting for? <laughs> for sure, man. So, I mean, it sounds like a great time to, to segue into our, uh, our event that we're going to be launching here together. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the American Warrior Festival, we're going to call it the, the Medal of Honor virtual shoot because it's, it's going to culminate and, and end on the uh, March 25th, the Medal of Honor Day. And Excellent. We're, yeah, we're coinciding, putting that with the Ruck Run as well. Okay, and, very good. Uh, yeah, and we reached out to uh, – to Pat right away because, uh, you know, the firing pin for what, three or four years running now has mm -hmm. been a sponsor of the American warrior festival. And they continue to help us in any way that you guys can, uh, by sponsoring, uh, last year we had an event planned or this year we were going right. to do an event in June. Obviously the, the COVID stuff knocked a lot of that stuff out of the, out of the way for us, but yep. We're uh, scheduled, I think, for June 26th, coming up this year, 2021. Yep. Uh, so before we get to that, we thought about, you know, we're going to COVID-proof this thing and, and do a virtual shoot. And mm -hmm. we, we figured let's get together with all of our participating uh, uh, firing ranges and stores that are sponsoring us and, and um, supporting the American warrior cause. Right. And uh, – so we reached out to Pat to talk about how we can standardize the, uh, the competition and what kind of competition we could choose. And uh, so, Pat, why don't you uh, tell people what we're going to be getting into with the 10, 10, 10, and 10, right? Yeah, 10, 10, 10 drills. So uh, I found uh, this drill uh, a while ago, a long time ago, on, uh, just on Instagram. You know what I mean? It was uh, on Recoil Magazine's page, and it was uh, 10 yards 
10 rounds in 10 seconds. And uh, it's highly demanding standard of accuracy, right? Because you're shooting at a B8 uh, NRA pistol target. So it's a pistol target with about a one inch diameter bullseye and it's 5.5 inches in the uh, black. It's the B8 pistol target, the proper one, it has a black scoring area. And the black scoring area is uh, 5.5 inches wide and it has an X ring, a 10 ring, a nine ring and an eight ring. And anything outside of that eight ring is not scored when you shoot the, uh, when you shoot the drill. So uh, I shot uh, a, the, the drill the other day on a very similar target with a one inch uh, bullseye uh, slash X ring. And it has, you know, the 10 ring and then the nine and then the eight and the, the total diameter of the circle is six inches. So I'd say that six inches, five and a half, you know, if you don't have access to a B8 pistol target, any target that's in that six inch uh, range, I would say is going to be close enough to call it within the standards. Um, but it's basically 10 yards fired at 10 rounds uh, in 10 that. seconds. <laughs> you don't mean that. <laughs> Line burners don't count. Line, Line burners don't do, count, Pat. Well, so yeah, if you have to ask, it's out. We'll get. We're gonna get to the scoring of these targets for sure. Uh, <laughs> so uh, ten yards, ten rounds, ten seconds for the maximum number of points that you can. Uh, the other day, I shot it uh, in eight point zero seven, and I got a score of uh, 74, 74 points with two out, uh, four four X's by the way. So. Uh, not too bad, but definitely uh, more movement in the gun than I wanted. I didn't have a secure grip on the handgun. So, but I think we should, uh, I think we should start there, Dan, because uh, it's nice and simple, right? And that's yeah. what we're looking for. We're looking for something that's simple and standardized, and almost anybody should have access to, you know, a ten. If you got access to an indoor range or an outdoor range, you should have ten yards available to you. You should have uh, some kind of way to time uh, ten seconds, uh, some kind of bullseye you know, target that's similar to that B8 uh, pistol target. Um, if you've you got a B8 print, pistol you target. You B8 online. Yeah. So, you know what? That's what we should have, have them do then. You could just print off the standard B8, five and a half inches. And I'll go ahead and shoot it again on the B8. That gives me an excuse to shoot it again. Awesome. And uh, right. what would the uh, participants need uh, besides the target? Uh, I mean, what, what are the things that with any, any handgun? Gate? I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, caliber? so what if you – yeah, I would say, you know, whatever handgun that you are going to be mostly carrying or uh, practicing with on the range, if you're a competition guy, right, whatever handgun that you shoot your competition with, I would say that that's okay. going to be uh, a good fit for you. If you're somebody that carries a concealed pistol, then try it with your concealed carry pistol because it is uh, a relatively high standard of accuracy that we're asking for here. So, uh, you know, and I always suggest shooting for that high standard of accuracy when you're using your concealed carry handgun for obvious reasons. So. Um, I would say that, you know, whatever handgun you're most like uh, comfortable with, you think you're the most comfortable with, give it a try with that and see how you do and definitely post your results. And uh, who should they, uh, when they do this, Dan, what are the, what are the tags or what are the, what are they doing here? You know, we're uh, in Gil, my guy Gil out here in San Diego is really uh, dialing everything in. Okay, and, uh, good. He's got the registration already set up. So we're cool. going to have uh, producer Don, when this uh, podcast gets released, we're going to have links and everything so mm -hmm. people know how to register. Right and, and uh, you know, I think what we're going to do is have them – we're going to see if we can get someone from the range to maybe film it or, or at least take a picture of their target so right. we can kind of score it as a team, right? Right. That probably makes sense. 
Well, yeah, right. I think in for the integrity of the game purposes, yeah. right? Like, obviously, right. we want to make sure that everybody's following the same kind of standard set of rules here. Sure. Because we don't want somebody to have some sort of an advantage. Um, I yeah. would love to do it on the honor system, but as you know, somebody's always going to try to game it ultimately. So have someone from the range that can help us out with scoring and take their scores, and we can post it up on the site and everything. Sure, yeah. If you're, if you got, if you're doing it at a partner range, right, they should have access to a timer and uh, see if – or get a friend to do it too. I mean, if, you, if you're just at the range with a friend, um, there's nothing wrong with having them hold a timer and a camera. I do it sure. all the time. It's not, it's not that difficult necessarily. Uh, but as long as we have some sort of video evidence, I, I would call that satisfactory. At, or absolutely. video or photo. Photo is okay, but video clearly preferable. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. And, and we're going to be reaching out. Uh, I'd imagine this first quarter, this first one we do, and like you're saying, Pat, you know, do something simple to roll it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see how many ranges want to get on board and be a participating range. And mm-hmm. uh, we're going to – you know, because we're going to be sending a lot of uh, people, participants their way. So we're going we're gonna to talk and get on the same level so each range is doing the same thing to become a part of this. We, we don't I want like range A doing all these extra things and range B just kind of gets the business and doesn't jump in and help. We want to work together, promote each other. You, know? you also right. want, to, you want to make sure that we can do things that the uh, – Every range should be able to do, you know, you don't want to yes. do something that only, you know, a, you know, a range out in Tennessee can do, but a range in New York can't do. So you don't want exactly. to have a, you don't want to have a string of fire that's 30 rounds long. And while, you know, we know that in New York, you can only have, you know, 10 rounds in your fixed magazine, you know, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Great point. In, not cool. in fact, New York probably has the lowest, uh, right. The, the lowest amount of rounds you could put in a mag. I, yeah, as far as I know, because uh, we got the 10-round capacity yeah. limit, I don't think anybody's below that at this point. So, uh, yeah, New York would be the most restrictive state. I know, and I know, Dan, we had at one point discussed doing some of this stuff with some carbine uh, drills mixed in there as well yeah. uh, for, for, you know, future ones. And we could definitely do, do it broken down where it's multiple strings of 10, 10, 10, you know, more, more than one string if it was going to be uh, something that would require 30-plus rounds. Uh, cause you know, we want everybody to be able to participate, obviously. And, and I think once we really start getting this going, imagine we have like a hundred ranges across the country involved. How much I think fun. It'd be so cool. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah, and we'll, I'm very excited for it. That'd be sweet. It, it will bring in all of our, make sure it doesn't turn into the, uh, it, we got to make sure it doesn't turn into the, uh, the toxic gun environment though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know how, you know how we do that, Dan? I think we keep the veteran cause mission at the forefront. Yeah. Keep the, like, keep the focus yep. in front, in the front. Yeah. Yep. Our partnerships with like honor flight mission 22, all the local organizations in each city. We, For sure. We bring that focus back to helping our brotherhood, our family, keep yep. that at the Absolutely. forefront as a, the competition is fun, but it's secondary to the cause. Right. 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 Well, not only that, but you know, the training element of it is so important. Just, just to have people out there that, that are doing something that's going to push their standards, that's going to make them better, that's going to right. have them out there training with some sort of purpose, right? Because we all have to go out and shoot, and I think that's awesome. But at the end of the day, with ammo being as expensive as it is, as it is right now, if you're not doing something that has training value to it, then you're just making expensive noise. And, um, you know, ultimately, I want to have purpose for, behind every round that I fire in training, uh, if at all possible. So 
I think that's a good, uh, good way to establish that is by pushing people to do standardized drills with time and high standards of accuracy. And, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I talked to a few of my Marine buddies out here. I think it was le- uh, last week or two weeks ago, we went shooting out in some desert land. And a couple of my Marine buddies like, man, my ammo's so low, I'm going to pass on this one. It, and I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it, the guys <laughs> in Nashville, same thing. And I'm like, the ammo shortages, right? I mean, that was the, what's uh, going on with so that? I, I shot that. When I shot that drill, uh, I did the uh, 10, 10, 10 drill. And uh, like I said, I posted it at the Pat's page. Uh, that was the last bit of nine mil that I had really? that I could spare. Everything I everything else I have is you know duty ammo. That's my carry ammo. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, up here it's uh, up here you can't find nine mil at all. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I shot it. I actually shot the drill twice. I shot it with my nine mil once, and then I shot it with my ten mil. I saw you uh, shot it with the ten. That was awesome. Dude, that thing is such a nail driver. <laughs> and that was with <laughs> that, was cool. that was with crappy Glock standard factory sites that wasn't even good sites <laughs> right nice. that thing is such a nail driver uh but uh but yeah uh so um ammo is a huge thing so keeping the round count uh keeping the round count relatively low i think will be kind of critical to uh getting people to want to participate for um, sure yeah. you, don't, you don't want to be blowing through people's stocks and whatnot um yeah absolutely now absolutely Pat, what's the biggest reason for that currently, and where do you see it going with the the ammo well, shortages or the you know, price? Man, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a funny thing, right? Because uh, in the beginning of the year, back in like January, right, we started to have uh, a little bit of a scare with the whole COVID nineteen thing. Right. right, that started really early in the year, and sure. people were a little bit freaked out by that, uh, and so they started panic buying some firearms and ammunition on like a limited scale way back in the wintertime last year. And then okay. there started to be some like rioting and stuff like that in the spring, as I'm right. sure you recall. Right. And then, so there was more panic buying that was going on that was associated with that. This year, more people became new gun owners than at any other year uh, in history since those statistics have been recorded. Yeah. Right. This year we, for in three consecutive months, we set records for the number of background checks being conducted on the federal level, right? Hey, so Pat, every single we, time. Uh, hey, Pat, it, wasn't that, uh, remember that crazy week we had, I think it was in March. Yeah. Didn't we sell like 300 some odd guns or something like that. Yeah. We sold, we sold hundreds of guns in, in one, like our, one of our busiest weeks. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was nuts. Yeah. And you know how small the firing could be. We were selling hundreds of guns. Wow. So, so Dan, we were selling these guns, and uh, these were just these are guns that uh, we were saying off the air earlier that were somebody else's who lost their license. We were like, we're selling these guns to people, and we're straight up telling these customers like, this gun is a piece of shit. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't want you to think I'm trying to get over on you. But this is this gun is not a good gun. When you get an opportunity, you need to get something. Try and get than try. Trying and they were better, still buying them, like gun, just yeah. yeah they wow. were just we just we couldn't keep stuff on the shelf, and it was uh, it was pure insanity at the at, and it was uh, I, people people were buying people were buying guns that they couldn't get ammo for. 
So yeah. they buy a 12 gauge and like, I can't sell you an ammo cause I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember dude. talking to Josh about that one time. He goes, man, we don't even have Turkey loads right now. <laughs> I'm like, really? No, we didn't have, we didn't have bird shot. Like, yeah. It was ridiculous. It was, it was crazy, but it was, and like I said, it was we, nuts. We, were, we were telling people like, this is not, this is not a good gun. Like, right. I don't want you, I, I don't want you to think that I'm lying to you or I, I sold you off the river. Like, yeah. right, this, this is not a good firearm. Like, it's the like, best this, you're going to get right now, yeah. But this like, is, this all is what I have to sell you, yeah. Like, right. this, is, this is not the gun that I recommend. This is the gun that I have standing behind me on the, yeah. on the counter that I can try to sell you right now. Right. But that, so, you know, and, and again, but, you know, kind of to caveat off of that, that's one of the, uh, as far as the firing pin goes, I think the strengths of the firing pin is uh, uh, Brandon, and, uh, Brandon and Josh, they uh, – they'll never get mad at you for being honest with someone, you know, like they, uh, uh, 110%, uh, back, you know, the, the salespeople. So Pat and myself, uh, and the other guys that work there, like, you know, they, they tell you, they'll tell you like, you know, just, just be honest with your customers and they'll keep coming back. And again, like I said, one of the strengths of the firing pen is you, you don't have to, uh, there's no pressure to push, push stuff across the counter right just because we're trying to make money is you know like i said like we, we like we were just telling people like this is not a good firearm and i'm not going to pretend that it is but it is what i do have and if you really want it i will sell it to you because that's my job but it's also my job to be honest with you and tell you that you know tell you the truth and at least give you a basic understanding of how this thing works so even even as crazy as that week was, we were doing the best we could to teach people how to use what it, whatever it was that we were selling them. That way, at least at minimum, they didn't hurt themselves. Sure, sure. Because like you said, we were getting a lot of like I'd say at least three quarters of the people were first time first time gun owners, and they didn't have a clue. Wow, never even <laughs> oh, handled a, a firearm in in any way, shape, or form. And wow. and it showed, and it was they, a little bit, a little they bit knew scary nothing. They were they were coming in there, uh, so I'd like a tactical shotgun, and I'm like, "All right, I'm sure you would, buddy. I'm sure you would." <laughs> Here we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> neither Dan nor myself recommends shotguns, like generally for home defense, right? Yeah. So uh, they would come in and they would be like, "I want a, I want a tactical shotgun," and I'd be like, "Awesome, home defense let's, shotgun. Let's, let's, yeah, I want a home defense. Oh, you shotgun. want a home defender? I think you, I think what you mean is you want a dog. <laughs> yeah, right." <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a fun time, man. I actually got a uh, one of those types of shotguns shipped. I had it a long time ago, and I had it shipped from uh, a dealer in Burbank, California, right to you guys. Oh, cool! Because I had to do something with it, right? But it's sort of the, the Mossberg eighty-eight with oh, the, yeah, with yeah, the pistol grip. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sold a couple of those in my time. For I sure. bought it so long ago, man. Nice. I never, I, yeah, still have it, but. Uh, we're yeah, in California got, now. What do you got? Like a slingshot? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm I'm actually back and forth, man. I I'm uh mainly living back in western New York again now. Oh, so I, I just went back to Genesee County and reinstated my pistol permit. Nice. Good so yeah, yeah, man. I'm so uh hopefully so I'm up I can, in Alaska. I don't even need a pistol permit. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool, man. I know I can't wait to get going on that have, again. I can have whatever I want. Like I, I could go, I go to the little NF or the uh, ATF kiosk and I can print off a, uh, 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 
a tax stamp and I can go buy a, a suppressor. <laughs> that's why you love <laughs> no it. Problem, no problem, man. Like, that's why you love it so much. One up of there. the first things I bought when I bought, when I moved up here was, was that ten mil. That's nice. cool. Yeah, they, you guys have a great vibe at the uh, at the firing pin, man. You come in there, everyone's happy to see you, and even the guys I don't know, they're very, very you know friendly, friendly people, very knowledgeable, and you know, yeah, we man, try, man. Yeah, and you and Josh are my guys, and and Brandon, I still gotta, I still gotta meet Brandon. I mean, I gotta come you in. Met and Brandon, I, yeah. No, right? I don't think I have. I don't think I have. That's crazy. Busy, yeah. Well, yeah, he's always busy, man. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see him when I'm in there. Yeah, I don't see him as much as I'd like to either. I only see him for the live stream like once a week, man. Oh, yeah. He's, How's he's that always going, on to his next hustle. <laughs> yeah. It's, pr- it's pretty cool, man. We have we have a really good time. Uh, a lot of people really dig it. I, I wish more people would watch, honestly. Like, the one frustration of doing something like that is uh as you know right you try to grow yeah. the the viewership out and uh you want it to be like i don't know i don't know how you measure success but i always i always want the viewership to grow because i want more people to be exposed i want more right. interaction I, I want you know what i'm saying like i just want not not for the the positive interaction or for the for the review you know for the positive attention i guess but just for more interaction with people so that we can diversify the right. conversations and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, also because I want more people to know about the firing pin and what we do. Right. Cause I, I love that place too. Like Dan loves that place. He's been there a long time. You have a great relationship with those guys. You've been, you know, dealing with uh, them on the, the business side and on the friendly friend, you know, relationship side for a long time. Right. And uh, I love that place as well. I've been there for about two years. And uh, it's given me such a cool opportunity to work with uh, a great, you know, customer base and stuff like that and uh, do what I love to do. So, you know, the live stream is an off, you know, another offshoot of that. And I really want it to be more uh, successful. So hopefully more people will start to check it out. I think the thing with it and uh, kind of caveat off what Pat said is uh, the firing pin is it's so much more than just a gun shop. It's not just a gun shop at all. Right. It's a, it's an education center. It's a, uh, a I don't want to say activist group. It's, but it's a center of activism what? as far as, yeah. as far as gun rights go. Sure. Second, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's so many, so many other things other than it's so much more than just a gun shop. It's a, right. uh, it's really, I, I, and I, I, I think it's, it's, become a, a pillar of the uh, uh western new york community really uh absolutely it, a, fa- just, a family really yeah, for sure yeah. Yeah, family it, atmosphere it's, really, it's just a it's a place where you know like-minded or even unlike-minded individuals can go to have an honest and good conversation with somebody uh, you know a no pressure conversation with someone about about guns about anything really i mean like it, i've had people come in there and just you know you can you can kind of tell when somebody comes in and they don't want to buy a gun you just they're just browsing which is fine well you but, think you know you, you end up you end up having a conversation with them about you know something that's going on in uh in the new york state uh government and you'll have an hour-long conversation with them and they'll, they'll leave not have not given you a penny and but you know what they they got whatever it was off their chest and they had somebody to listen to. So 
Well, and think about it too. People that have never, uh, you know, fired a gun or handled a, a firearm before, <clears throat> how intimidating it can be for them to get into that world. And if you have some some friendly faces yeah. over there that make you feel comfortable, right? That yeah. makes all the difference in the world for the beginners and people that need to build their confidence with the firearm. So, well, it, it's like, vital. So, I was with the uh, I was with the firing pin. Um, when it, when it opened, like, and I had been working there, um, just, you know, part-time work on top of other things I was doing, uh, since 2014 when they opened. So I was one of the first like five employees there. And, um, uh, Josh and Brandon made it, uh, they didn't say it directly, but they made it really clear that they didn't want it with the way the pin was, they didn't want the firing pin to be like, all the other gun shops where it's just some grumpy, crusty old asshole behind the counter. <laughs> who's just going to talk down yeah. on you when you don't know every little thing about every little, right. You know, like every little detail about every single gun. Like they didn't want that. They really wanted you to take the time, you know, identify when somebody doesn't know something about, about what it is that they're trying to buy and teach them. Like, you know, cause you're only making them, a stronger member of the community, a stronger member of the shooting community, when you educate them about what it is they have in their hands or right. how to shoot or, you know, you know, all, all those things, types of types of things. Very cool. Definitely. Well, I tell you what, gents, uh, I had a great time here with you, uh, you guys tonight and really appreciate you coming on and spending your time with us and uh, working on the, the virtual event we have coming up. And for sure. I mean, the honor yeah, is all ours and, good to hear your stories and and bust the balls a little bit here on a on a saturday night yeah, yeah dan thank you so much for inviting me to be on man and uh thank you for all the uh nice stuff you said about the firing pin because you know we sure appreciate our relationship with uh the american warrior foundation as well and awesome. uh so we uh we look forward to working with you with you more in the future and i'm very excited about this virtual event uh, if there's anything more i can do to help you out man hit me up you got all of my contact info Awesome. And uh, for those of you guys out there watching this that don't know about the firing pin yet, follow us on the social media and uh, check out our live stream too. Cause it's pretty cool. So uh, yeah. Thank you, Dan, again, very much. Uh, no, yeah. no problem. It will be rolling out the, uh, the virtual registration here so we can share it on our pages. You guys will have it too. Cool. And we'll yeah. uh, attach it to the firing pin. Make sure you guys, when everyone knows in Western New York, that's good. They're going to be going to the firing pin for the, the event. Yeah, they can definitely so, come and, and get get with us, and we'll take care. We'll uh, you know video it for them or put them on a timer, whatever we got to do. Okay, awesome. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, cool. no problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate you. I know unaffiliated guy from Alaska. <laughs> oh no, it's a pleasure, man. Producer Don's tell trying to tell me something. I can't hear him. What what do you say? Oh, oh, the firing pin, it was a firingpin.com, right? Patrick? Uh, so our, our Facebook page is uh, thefiringpinny.com. Our uh, online store is store, uh, store.thefiringpinny.com. And uh, we're on the uh, Facebook as uh, the firing pin. Cool. And, so. and we'll, we'll put links and everything at the yeah, bottom. We'll the, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get you guys the links. Cool. Yeah, we'll make sure we run those across the bottom. And uh, yeah, gentlemen, I tell you what, we had, we had a great time. So we'll be talking to you guys soon. And, uh, you know, have a great rest of your weekend.
Thanks. Yeah, you too, Dan. Talk All to right. you again sometime, yeah? Yep, definitely. You guys take care. Thanks. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Right. American Warrior Festival podcast brought to you by Oliver's Candies, the creator of the American Warrior Festival candy bar.
Oliver's Candies is proud to offer you the largest selection of award-winning chocolates made in Western New York. Visit them online at oliverscandies.com. What's going on, everybody? Don T. Penny here. Just wanted to take a minute to thank our fellow Patreon supporters and let you know that if you wanted to become a fellow supporter of our podcast, all you got to do is click on the link below that is in your show notes. Or if you're listening to this slash watching watching this on YouTube, all you got to do is go to the video description. We will have a link to the Patreon page right there in that description as well. And that will take you to the homepage where you can see the sixth different options for our patreon program feel free to browse through it guys click on them see which one best suits you and any support any help that you guys would offer us is much appreciated it helps us put more content out for you and push this podcast uh, to that next level once again guys thank you for all your support we're going to continue to do our job you guys have a great rest of your day we're out The American Warrior Festival Podcast is brought to you by the Red Osier Landmark Restaurant, Oliver's Candies, Smokin' Eagle Barbecue and Brew, The Firing Pin, Orcon Industries, Ken Barrett Chevrolet Cadillac, TF Browns, One LLP, Batavia Legal Printing, Gun Track App, and Amerahome Healthcare. This is Candy. You're listening to the American Warrior Festival. Yeah.